Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And welcome to Audio Judo. I'm Matthew. And I'm Kyle. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, your premier source for music podcasts. Uh, have you had the chance to check out the show Vinyl Snob yet? I have not yet. It's on my list. It's excellent. Uh, it's exactly what you would expect it to be from that name. It's a uh, <laughs> show dedicated to vinyl and all things surrounding it, and very pretentious, and I love it. Uh, very well crafted. It's a great show for all you vinyl lovers. There's got to be like audio files, vinyl files. There's got to be a word for that, right? Vinyl. Uh, yeah, I'm vinyl. sure there is. Okay, we'll, we'll make one up. Yeah, vi- uh, vinyl files. Uh, you can check that out at pantheonpodcast.com. Uh, this week... It's a very special week for us. Indeed. It's like a very special episode of Blossom or an after-school special, you know? It's a very special episode of Audio Judo. Uh, (laughs) For about a year, we've been promoting our Patreon site Mm -hmm. and the ability that you have as listeners to become an active part of the Audio Judo program. Yeah. We've said, all you need to do is join at the top level, which is 20 bucks a month, stay signed up for a year, and then you can pick the album of your choosing, and we will talk about it. Forced to talk about it. We will be forced literally at gunpoint to talk about it. And today is the day. He showed up with a gun. Right. Our very first patron, David, is with us in studio mm-hmm. to talk about his choice. So let's welcome in David. Hello. Well, hello. Thank you for having me here. It was a dream and now it's reality. <laughs> oh, we're see it's, it's happening. We're making dreams come true, everybody. Now, we should point out, uh, uh David did in fact know Matthew uh <laughs> before he became a patron. So generally speaking in the future, uh these will probably be phone interviews because we cannot afford to uh fly any of our patrons here to Las Vegas. Unless you live in Las Vegas. Unless you live in Las Vegas in which we might be able to arrange something. Which but, by all means, you know. Yeah. Mikasa Sukasa. No, re- I don't want to say that. I was about to say, do you really want to let uh, my house the people that listen house. to our podcast come <laughs> over to your house? I don't know if I would, but that's up to you. So, David, uh, how are you doing? I am doing very well, yeah. and I appreciate you guys giving me the liberty at or not at good point to <laughs> go over the artist and album we're going to go over tonight. It may have been Squirt Gun Point. Yeah, possibly. So, now you had this wide open ocean to choose from. You could have chosen any album in recorded history, and we would have had to do it. You could have chosen ABBA, or an album from the 20s that no one ever heard of. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you chose the album Americano by Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, a regionally known band, Mm -hmm. but not a largely well-known band. So tell me why. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Kyle. So I had given this quite a bit of thought, and I wanted to first give you a little background on how I came upon the album. 
and then give you the reason why I picked them. So when I graduated high school, I left Arizona, where I'm from, back to Las Vegas, where my family is from. And I went to UNLV and graduated in the mid-90s. And at that point, music was changing quite a bit. I was still clinging on to my hair bands and other music from the 80s that just <laughs> seemed to be kind of fading to the grunge and the alternative rock that I started to begrudgingly enjoy. And so I was a very lighthearted listener to a lot of the new stuff that was coming out. And one of those bands uh, was The Refreshments. And I remember hearing some of their songs like Mekong and Mexico and Banditos and Down Together. And I really enjoyed them, but I wasn't very familiar with them. One, because I live in Las Vegas now and they're from Arizona. Well, at that time, I had no idea that they were from Arizona. And then also all my friends were starting to listen to them. But by chance, I got a promotion at work. It moved me to Arizona in 2001. And then shortly after that, I had gone to some dive bar in Tempe, not far from ASU. And my buddy said, hey, we're going to go see Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. So I'm like, oh, okay. And I pretended to know who they were, but I did not know who they were. <laughs> um, at least by that name. And so we went there and of course this was 20 years ago. So things are, memories a little faded, but I do remember asking one of my friends, why does the, why does this band sound so familiar to me? And he said, well, you know, they used to be the refreshments. And I go, Oh really? Oh, okay. Well, I know this band. So after that, I started going to small venues, large venues, and I was a little, it's not that I didn't want to go to the, their concerts, but I was a little taken back at the first few shows because I couldn't understand why everybody in the uh, concert knew all the lyrics to all their songs and they're screaming them out. And I don't know hardly any of them. I know like three songs. So the more I went, I started uh, learning their songs. And then we get to 2004. Now Americano comes out. So I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to buy my my first Roger Klein Peacemakers album. So I went out, bought the CD, and I listened to it. And it was really my introduction to uh, really enjoying seeing them for so many years. And shortly after getting that album, and it was nice to go to concerts. Now I know the songs. I can yell them out, and I don't have to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then a year later, I went to their Circus Mexicus show, in Rocky Point, which is 70 miles south of the border, uh, Rocky, Rocky Point, which is also part of Pinasco. And after that, I just really loved seeing them live. And it's been 20 years that I've been listening to them, more or less, I would say 15 that I really have been into them. And I've probably seen them live about maybe 20 times. I've seen them in Prescott, Arizona. I've seen them at uh, Roger Klein at Cleopatra's Barge just a solo act, which is amazing, by the way. And I really enjoy their shows because it could be 100 people or it could be 3,000 on the beach with tequila and Coronas. And it's just as fun and it's the same atmosphere and it's, it's always enjoyable. So that was my introduction to them. And they have a lot of albums, but that was kind of my, I feel like my personal album. And I wanted to share that on the podcast with you guys, uh, with your listeners. The main reason I picked it is because since I've been listening to the podcast, I've gone to musical places that I did not think I would be interested in, Kyle. 
Like, um, like by the time I'm done with one of your podcasts, all of a sudden I'm listening to a Japanese jazz rock band that I have no idea who they are, but I like them. And then there have been artists that I'm familiar with, but apparently not as familiar as I was until after I listened to your podcast. Are we still talking about the who? (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think he's referring to a soil and pimp session. Oh yeah. Soil and pimp. The, The guess who? Yeah. One of those. Gotcha. <laughs> so I thought about that and I thought, you know, I would, I have enjoyed seeing them in concert. I've enjoyed um, some personal moments with um, uh, some of the band uh, and family members and, and really getting to know a little bit more about their music. But if I didn't move to Arizona, I may not have had those experiences. And so I think back to some of the podcasts you guys have had exposing me to things that I would not have been exposed to. And I felt this was the same thing. So I really wanted your listeners to get an opportunity to be exposed to something that maybe they've missed out on, or maybe they've heard of some of their stuff, but they don't really know who they are. And so my hope tonight was that if they don't live in Arizona, they may not know who this band is. And so tonight, we're all from Arizona. Nice. And we're going to listen uh, to Roger Klein of the Peacemakers, and I hope you enjoy it. I like that. We're so excited that you're going to expose yourself to all of our listeners. Well, I was going <laughs> to yeah. say one thing's for sure. <laughs> one thing's for certain is Kyle is uh, good at exposing I'm people I'm very to good at it. I've, uh, I've been uh, <laughs> cited several times by the police. I may have said that word more than I should have. Well, that's yeah, okay. okay. So obviously my familiarity with the band, and I assume Kyle's as well, to some degree, was non-existent. Yeah, well, I had a little bit. Because? No, go ahead. Because of King of the Hill. Right. So uh, obviously uh, the refreshments uh, did the theme song for King of the Hill. It's called Yahoos and Triangles. And apparently it was something that they used a lot of times to warm up uh, before they would actually start playing uh, back in the 90s. And then somebody from King of the Hill heard it and they picked it as their theme song. And so every time you see the credits to King of the Hill, it pops up and says, uh, uh, Yahoo's and Triangles uh, by the Refreshments. Well, there you go. Or I think it actually says theme song for King of the Hill by uh, the Refreshments, if I remember correctly. But that was the only place that I recognized it from. Uh, I, you know, in my head, I was like, that's probably some band somewhere, but it never even registered as that they were an actual band if that makes any sense like that they were actually you know they actually made other music like a jingle writer yeah exactly yeah Yeah. so uh, that's really the only place that i recognized them from when we started doing research into this yeah i had never heard of the band before and i think i think i have heard a couple songs of theirs but i can't be sure i assume i have probably the the one that you have maybe one other one but nothing that I could say, oh, that's definitely something that I've heard. Um, so this was an education for me and taking a deep dive in, into this artist and their music. And I say I have never heard of them, but damn, I kind of wish I had. Yeah. Uh, because while I was a little cool on the record when I listened to it for the first time, I warmed up to it, kind of learned to love it by the third or fourth time I listened to it. So the Tempe, Arizona bass band was born after Roger Klein's original band, The Refreshments, as we've referred to a few times. They changed members. Uh, The Refreshments had a bit of a hit with the song Banditos. That song was included on their 1995 album, which probably has one of the one of my favorite album names of all time. Who reference? Fizzy, fuzzy, big and buzzy. That's That's a good one. It's a great name. It's a great name for an album. So he formed the new band with refreshment drummer Paul Naffa, and at that time added guitarist Scott Johnson, formerly with the 90s alternative band Gin Blossoms. Uh, And I have to say, there are a lot of sounds on this record that remind me a lot of the Gin Blossoms 
sound. Oh, I would absolutely agree with that. And right? not sure if it's the guitar sounds or the melodies, but there's definitely some influence there. And he left shortly after joining, so I don't think it's necessarily his influence because he wasn't actually on this record. But it's hard to put a finger on it exactly. But it's definitely there. So from what I can tell, the Tempe, Arizona music scene is pretty tight. All these bands seem to be intertwined to some degree, uh, as he would include members pretty consistently from bands like the Railbenders, Dead Hot Workshop. One of my favorite all-time bands, Jimmy Eat World, mm. is from this same general area. They're actually from Mesa. But I dig this southwestern sound quite a bit and it's very identifiable as such yeah one thing that i also really enjoy about his sound in particular is that it's really hard to pinpoint all of the influences that are actually happening on this record there's a little bit of reggae there's some blues there's some mariachi there's a little honky tonk there's, yeah. there's some country rock i hear some counting crows influence some big john mellencamp influences it's a bit of a catch-all, mm -hmm. but I love it. It's very And their live album is called Honky Tonk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, so it's there. So it's, go ahead. I would say that's very interesting to me because I, I have those same notes, uh, not exactly in that order, but I do think that it's fascinating when a band can actually pull that off and sound good because there's a ton of bands out there that try different genres, different styles of music, and try to combine it on one album, and they do a horrible job at it. And and these guys really, the album is very cohesive, even though there are, there's a song on here that's very clearly a mariachi song. There's a song on here that's very clearly a honky-tonk song. Um, and like you said, influences from all over the place, but it melds together very nicely to make an actual cohesive unit instead of, well, we tried a mariachi song and we tried a blues song and we tried a honky-tonk song. It actually melds well. And we come back to it all the time. The melodies are super strong. Yeah. And whatever adornments you put around it, if the melodies are there, you can get away with a lot of stuff like that without it sounding hokey yeah. or cheesy or, or like you're trying too hard. Uh, so Roger's Mexican influence comes from his upbringing. I'm sure you have some of this. You, uh, you can go ahead, though. Uh, he was born in Tucson, brought up in Tempe, and used to spend a lot of his formative years on his grandparents' ranch in southern Arizona, where he lived kind of like he lived a cowboy life, essentially, herding cattle, you know, ranching, doing those things. And he used to make frequent trips to Mexico. He also did some full immersion classes while he was a student at ASU. Those classes took place in Mexico. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was very interesting about this is is when David told us the band that he wanted to do and the album he wanted to do, I was like, oh, crap. We're not going to be able to find any information. There's going to be a one-paragraph Wikipedia article, and that's it. But it turns out uh, that Roger Klein has done tons of interviews. Yeah. he. I mean, he has done multiple interviews every year for the past 25 years, which is great for research. And in one of them, he tells the whole story, in multiple of them, but in one of them that I watched a YouTube video of, he tells the whole story of that immersive class. And he says that he went down to Mexico for the immersive class, and he was like, everybody else in his class was like, well, you know, I was studying the indigenous, uh, I'm here to study the indigenous uh, uh, people of this region. And, you know, the next person was like, well, I'm here to study the the origins of uh, cooking from the uh, uh, Michoacan region, you know, and he's and he like, went and studied the mariachi. I'm studying mariachis. <laughs> And he's like, everyone in the class gave him the dirtiest look when he said that. And just he followed him around town, yeah. hung out with him, drinking beers with him. He really had to like 
integrate himself with them because when he first showed up, he said, you know, he he spoke bad Spanish and he was a white dude from America. And he's like, none of the mariachis wanted to talk to him about their musical traditions or anything. And so that was how he got to know them was he went around to the bands and the clubs and things where they played and he'd buy them beers. And then he'd say, okay, you know, now that I've bought you guys a beer, let's talk about why did you make this song? And he'd start to get to know them and they would know, oh, hey, that guy's here. Roger's here. He's going to buy us a round of beers and then we got to talk about music for 10 minutes. I thought that was awesome. It's definitely the white guys. He does He does <laughs> mention gringos at least three times in the lyrics of this mm-hmm. record. So, <laughs> And foreigner. Yes. Right. <laughs> so he's so he's so dedicated to that culture, though, that he fell in love with a beach town in Sonora, Mexico, called uh, Puerto Penasco. Mm-hmm. And what started as a one-off concert in 2000 has turned into a four-day music festival that they hold every year called Circus Maximus. Which I think is awesome. Circus, Circus Mexicus. Circus Mexicus. It's Mexicus? It's, it's Mexicus. Mexicus. Yes. Ah. I'm going to guess my autocorrect tried to change that like three times. Yeah. I bet you mine did, and so, I just kind of went yeah. right over it. But it's a Circus Mexicus. Mexicus uh, makes more sense. June 2019 was their um, the 20th year of doing that, and I think they skipped 2020, right? Yeah, I don't they believe they did do it. They are doing it this year, correct? Well, they've done it. They've done it this year. Okay. <laughs> they already did it this yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, and I think the dates, I think I wrote them down later on for 2022, but we'll get to that. Uh, one other thing I think we should probably talk about while we're talking, or bring up while we're talking about this era of them. When the refreshments broke up, they sort of had a, they did have a record deal and the breakup partially was caused by the collapse of that record deal uh, for various reasons. And I'm not going to get into too much detail because it's, you know, obviously talking about a lot of uh, personal issues, but when they reformed, they came back as a completely independent band, and they've stayed very independent. And one of the ways they did that was they harnessed the power of the really early internet. So in 1999, when Honky Tonk Union, their debut album, came out, it actually reached number one on the Billboard internet sales chart, which at oh. the time was basically brand new. And so much so that their manager got a phone call from some Billboard executive asking, quote, who the hell is Roger Klein and why is he number one on my chart? <laughs> Since then, they have released eight more studio albums and they've pushed really hard. They have a huge internet following. Uh, and because of that, all eight of those albums have premiered in a top 10 position on the Billboard internet sales charts, including the album we're talking about, Americana, which actually debuted at number one on that chart. Really? That is fascinating to me. Now, what's crazy to me, too, is this is very early internet. This is 99, 2000. Americana was 2004. Yeah. This is before a lot of bands embraced the internet. This was back when they were fighting the internet. The sure. internet was piracy. Yeah, the internet was internet. stealing yep. their money. And these guys embraced it, and they said, no, 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 we're going to sell our music over the internet. We're actually going to reach out to our fans over the internet. We're going to have a blog. Uh, really early on, they started actually, you know, Talking back to their fans online that you could email them and get responses, I think that is fascinating, yeah. especially for such a a regional band. Because suddenly, yes, you're a regional band in you know Southern Arizona, you have worldwide re- worldwide reach now. <clears throat> We're worldwide reach. Yeah, I can't say that worldwide <laughs> reach now because you have you can get fans from anywhere in the world and they can listen to you. And this was 20 years ago, back before that was common, right? Harness the power of the internet. Harness the power of the internet. <laughs> Digital music. You have more about that? Uh, what else you got? Uh, uh, there's also a recently, so if you're interested in learning more about the band, there was a documentary film that just came out a couple years ago called Here's to Life, the Story of the Refreshments. 
uh, that chronicles the entire history of both bands, The Refreshments uh, and Roger Klein and The Peacemakers. They have a super active YouTube channel. Um, during the COVID period, they did a whole bunch of online concerts and things mm-hmm. that you know a lot of other bands were doing. They did that as they did it as well, and uh, they're all very good live versions of a lot of their songs. Um, and also, like I mentioned earlier, Roger Klein has a ton of interviews that he's done over the last twenty plus years, including a great TED Talk called "Smaller and Better Things," where he talks about how. Um, rather than embracing the idea that so many bands embrace where I have to get away from my hometown, I have to go to New York or LA and become a big band and, and try to big myself up. Yeah. He embraced his small town roots and he's been successful because of it. Ted talks, huh? Yeah. It's a Ted. What do they call it? Where it's a local Ted talk. I don't know. Uh, it's Ted Tucson is what it's classified under. That's very cool. Yeah. Where'd you, where'd you see that? YouTube. Oh Yeah. I actually think I followed the link for that was on the Wikipedia page for the band, if I remember correctly. Yeah. In the the like the notes at the bottom, one of the links that I followed was to that TED Talk, gotcha. if I remember correctly. All right. I fall down rabbit holes sometimes when I, I do this research, and I end up watching like 20 YouTube videos. I know you do. And then two days later, I come back, and I'm like, wait, what did I, which one was where, and why was I watching it, and how do I find it again? You and should I have write to, that down. I go back to my YouTube history and- that's the same reason why none of you listeners get notes ever, because I fall down holes, and then I'm like, wait, yeah. what was I talking about And again? he says, oh, I'll, I'll put that in the Bye. show notes, and then, you know. Yeah, I Sorry about that, everybody. But you know what the good news is? Again, you too can leverage the power of the internet <laughs> and search for these fucking things on your own. Surprise! <laughs> Ta-da! You know the name, you well, can type it into Google, so or better, s- DuckDuckGo.com. So much sass coming from him right now. You want to talk about the cover art? Let's talk about the cover art. <laughs> Just being sassy. I'm being a little sassy today. Cover it's art. Like cover art. Nice and simple. Great. Picture the band. They're standing in a large body of water, probably the ocean, but I couldn't prove that. It's probably a Mexican beach at sunset. Probably a Mexican beach at sunset. But I can't prove that. Right? Uh, they're dressed as some mariachis, sort of. Can you? Can't prove that they're dressed as mariachis. <laughs> Uh, they're holding a black flag with a white spiral four-point glyph on it, which is what became the band's... Uh, sort of logo. They refer to it as a glyph. I do like that word, glyph. Glyph. I liked What was difficult about that is I kept trying to search for like logo for band, uh, Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, and then it wouldn't come up with anything. Did and you I'm finally like, just go glyph? Well, I I was on their website looking around and I went to their store to see what they sell, like merch wise. And it's like, merch with our glyph on it. And, th- and I'm like, oh, ah. and then you type that in and there's all kinds of information about it. So yeah, the bumper stickers in Arizona. They won't, they may not necessarily say Roger Klein. It'll just have that on. Nice. <laughs> just has a glyph? Yeah, it'll just be the glyph. People just recognize that. Yeah, like, hey. Is it called a Roger glyph? Like a hieroglyph? Ooh. I don't know. It's like a funky star. Klein glyph? 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 It does, it does appear on basically every one of their band covers or their album covers after uh, Americano, as far as I could tell, yeah. uh, except their live album. Always be branding. ABB. Yeah. So our artwork was done by Kathleen Kramer Ooh. and Thomas Abreu. Kathleen Kramer is an Arizona-based artist in an area that I think you might be familiar with, David. Prescott. Oh, well said. Yeah. Uh, she recently had an art showing there. Her stuff looks really interesting. Very Southwestern appeal. It's very cool. Uh, and I couldn't find out anything about Thomas Abreu. So if you're listening out there, Thomas, uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you're up to. Please do. We'll bring it up in a future episode. Maybe you're not doing anything graphic design anymore. That's okay. Still be curious. You got any more about the, the no. cover? Uh, no? I think I think uh, we should take a quick break. We're gonna take, oh. and then why don't we roll back into the old uh, track by track here? And take a quick break right now. Yeah, let's All do right. it. Let's take a quick break. 
Don't Smother Nature is a one-stop shop for sustainable home goods. They do the research to compile all the best and most affordable options and group them into a convenient online location. With smooth navigation, helpful support, and easy returns and tracking, they make transitioning you and your home to be more Earth-friendly a simple and accessible process. They just had their grand opening, so browse their extensive catalog now at DontSmotherNature.com. That's DontSmotherNature.com. Uh, Americano. Americano. So I love the way this album begins. Yeah, Americano. Right off the bat, I'm hit with a lot of John Mellencamp here. Yeah. Uh, that very rhythmic acoustic guitar strumming is really nice. So years ago, someplace in the mid-1990s, I would imagine, I heard this term get used to describe a particular type of music. I'm guessing I heard it on the radio, mm-hmm. or maybe MTV, but I feel like MTV was never quite this witty. Um, it was called Heat and Serve. Oh, And it was used to describe music like The Gin Blossoms or Hootie and the Blowfish or perhaps Matchbox 20. Uh, It's that kind of music that is pretty simple. It's not adorned with a lot of effects or complexities. Guitars and drums and vocals, the occasional organ. The lyrics are pretty simple. And the idea is that it just passes by you. You don't have to spend a lot of time on it. You just put it on and you let it roll. And for the first listen, I thought this record fell into that category. But after the second listen, no way. The lyrics for the whole record, but especially this title song, are incredibly deep and complex and dense. This is way more aligned with Counting Crows than it is with Blowfish. Uh, oh, yeah. His lyrics are very Adam Duritzy. You know, <laughs> they're very, they're very thick. There's a lot of them. He doesn't repeat uh, verses very often, and if he does repeat choruses a lot, he he'll change one or two lines within the chorus, so it's not identical. I noticed that, too. I like that a lot. And for all you Counting Crows fans, uh, we will be doing August and Everything After uh, next year, just so so just stay tuned, because I've actually had a few requests for that. So Just wait until next year. Next year. You know, it's no big deal. But uh, this is what... uh, You have something to say first? Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, This is what Americano sounds like right here. I like that this song on its its surface, it's it's just a story song about a guy robbing a bank. Uh, you know, I mean, that's really what it's about and fleeing across the border. Yeah, he's on the run. Yeah. Pining, th- pining for his old lady. But I think that there's a lot of religious overtones in this song. Oh, specifically, hell yeah. Specifically, I mean, uh, they mention um, uh, Maria, uh, who is the, that's the Spanish and the Latin version of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, obviously. And I, when you listen to it and kind of think about that, I do wonder if it's more of a morality type of a story, kind of like a, a biblical story rather than a specific, like, I robbed a bank and now I'm on the run. Oh, yes. I th- but I, it's a, it's a got that sort of, you know, tie into more of a, a, like I said, like a moral story. Yeah, I think his stories are really rich in metaphor. And I believe there's a lot of the bank robbery taking the place of a morality play. Yeah. So to speak. Uh, 
He's a very unique storyteller. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say he was probably raised Catholic because there are so many religious references on yeah. this record that seem to lean that way. And the he's got these really unique rhyming schemes in this song, uh, like the section, uh, I can burn like a wildfire, disappear like a ghost, a dagger in my cloak. I'm a rich and gracious host. Like those rhyming schemes, very unusual because he's not rhyming every line or, or every other line even. It's uh, it's staggered. It's very interesting. It's a really good song. It's a really good yeah. start. I love the, the guitar record. solo in this one too. Yeah. So good. Uh, David, you got anything? Yes. I picked that part of the clip just because I felt like uh, I love the beginning of this, how it opens up, but it gets a lot richer as the song develops. So I wanted to kind of go into more than half the song before you guys played that clip so your listeners could uh, hear the heart of the song. And it is. Yeah. You got more about that one? Yeah, it's, uh, I think we covered it. Would you like to go counterclockwise? Yeah. Get, Let's do, wait a go, minute. You want to go? <laughs> That's also the next song. Did you know that? Oh, it is. I you didn't expect that you did. No, I didn't know that. This is such a fun song. It's an upbeat rocking song about escaping to the beach, uh, probably in Mexico, and, and having a nice life. I'm gathering that's probably what it's about. You know, kids lighting firecrackers. You know, no one's no one recalls what the hands on the clock on the wall say. So while the sound of the record sounds very familiar, similar, mm-hmm. okay, similar, the actual melody and construction of the song sounds like it was born in the late 70s during the new wave kind of punk movement. This has a lot of early Elvis Costello or Joe Jackson or any trouble sound to it. Oh, yeah. Um, not necessarily the sound of the record, but the melodies that he's using. Uh, it's hard to explain exactly what's in my head, but the mix and the production are very early 2000s, but the melody is not. And the uh, instruments like 50s guitar yeah. and things like that that they blend in are really Right, really which, good. you know, Elvis Costello with working with T-Bone Burnett and stuff yeah. had all the, you know, the huge hol- or uh, solid body guitars that give that that almost rockabilly type sound yeah. to it. And that's what's funny to me is that you just mentioned, you know, it's almost like a little punk. It's funny to me that punk music was actually all about reverting back to that 1950s sound, like the roots of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Like that's where punk was sort of born from. And it's interesting to hear a band like this that I would never classify them as a punk band. No. But they definitely had punk influences and they definitely had some kind of a reference to punk music from the 70s and 80s that they're they're drawing on to make a song like this. And then there's a little bit of mariachi thrown in here for, for good fun. There's an accordion in here, a little bit in the background that you can hear, uh, that's uh, played uh, by Skip Edwards. Skip Edwards. Skip Edwards, yeah. I had to look him up because I was like, there's nobody listed as playing the uh, accordion on here. If you look a little bit deeper into the uh, uh, production notes on, uh, I can't remember the website I grabbed these from, I'm sorry. There were three people that I found that were not uh, referenced on the album, uh, either on the Wikipedia or on any of the other web pages that I saw. One mm-hmm. was uh, Gia Sambiati, who does some vocal harmonies on a song later on in the album. Uh, Skip Edwards played accordion, keyboards, and organ and piano on this record. And Lee Thornburg plays the trumpet. That name sounds familiar. Right? I could not find him anywhere, but it did sound very familiar to me. And I was like, why do I recognize that? But Mm. didn't see him anywhere else. So, But but like you said, go ahead. Did you have something? No. I thought you said something. I'm waiting to go to counterclockwise. Oh, yeah. It's an incredibly Mm. detailed song about abandoning 
your day-to-day life and heading for the beach. And I think it's subject matter that's been covered, you know, many, many times, but not to this exacting detail that he gives you the whole picture. Lines like, well, the gringo boys got their dark sunglasses and the girls on the beach are all shaking their fingers because no matter how dark the lens is, they can see that the eyes and the minds of the boys are somewhere they ain't supposed to be. That's enough to picture pretty much everything he's talking about. Right. And this is what it sounds like. All my friends are laughing at each other's lies And I see you singing lullaby Everything's slowing down, flowing counterclockwise Everything's slowing down, flowing counterclockwise Everything's slowing down, flowing counterclockwise It sounds like a fun day at the beach to me. And I want to play this at the beach on one of my vacations. You think they'll have it or should I bring it? Oh, they might have it. You, you never know. It? I just realized I've been trying to figure out what this song reminds me of all week. Did and you it's, figure it uh, out? I just did. It's uh, the song Green Tinted 60s Mind by Mr. Big. Uh, a little bit of that sound. Oh my the God. same sort of What is that, guitar. like 91 or yeah. something? But it's got that same little bit of tingy sort of guitar in it and stuff. Like, I just... It's been bugging me since I started listening to this like a month ago or a couple weeks ago when we were talking about it. And I was like, where do I recognize that sound from? Don't worry. Kyle will not put a link to that in the show notes. I will definitely not put a link to that in the show notes. (laughs) I will absolutely forget that I've even said it starting now. Kyle doesn't need another thrill. And neither do I. (gasps) I don't need another thrill. You don't. It kind of picks up where the last song left left off sound-wise. Once again, lyrically brilliant. Because it's material that's been covered a zillion times. But the way he tells the story is a little different than I have ever heard it. The dude basically gave up his life of adventure, his gunslinging, his super exciting life, to settle down with a lady who more or less tamed him. And it's a little unclear if she's holding him at arm's length and playing a little hard to get. Uh, but he tells the story really nicely. Here, this is what it sounds like. congregation I mean, it's it's so clearly about a guy that wants to finally settle down and have a real relationship with somebody rather than a whole bunch of one night stands and, you know, quick relationships. Right. It's it's interesting when people pick this as a theme for a love song, because so many rock and roll love songs are about that one night stand. And then it's like suddenly there's one about like, oh, no, I want to settle down. And this song, uh, I believe, is about him going independent and oh yeah that's what the song's about so Hmm. the girl in this is well the refreshments oh and they're changing labels and everything Ah, else i like the fact that he doesn't need another thrill i'll be free as long as you enslave me and that's part of the lyrics in the song i don't know if we covered that but that's that's i believe the meaning behind that so he's going from where he was at and saying, I want my freedom. So I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And so now we are 
Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. That totally that changes everything. So sorry. That's, I, sh- I should have been in the, the no, pre-recording that's sessions. That's okay. But I, I want to make sure you got it right. That's perfect, though, because that's, I mean, that's what I love about songs like this is it does have that, if you just listen to it on the surface, you walk away with that, oh, it's about a guy who's, you know, in love with a girl. Uh, that's what I thought until and I- And then suddenly you yeah. find out that deeper meaning, but- I assume you found that out probably directly from the band, right? From a relative of the band that I'm go. friends with their family. And I'd, I'd said this was one of my favorite songs. And I thought it was about a girl. And of course, they're like, well, the girl is, you know. <laughs> and then they told me the story. And I That's thought, oh. That's so cool. And it really makes sense. Never pack a parachute to lover's leap, right? <laughs> you're you're le- You're leaping. You're you're once you leave where you were at, you can't go back, and that's part of I believe what Roger was trying to say. That's awesome. Yeah, that is that changes the whole uh, meaning for me. So, go ahead. Oh, I would say there was a uh, one line in here too that I had never uh, uh, something I had never heard of. Uh, saint Severus. Did you look it up? I did. Yeah, uh, Saint Severus is the uh, patron saint of horny Harry Potter fangirls. Which, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I got my notes mixed up. Uh, he is the also known as Severus the Great of Antioch or Severus of Gaza. Are you uh, sure you got the right Severus though? Uh, no, not necessarily. Because there's actually seven. What? Yeah. I just looked up the first Saint Severus that I found. <laughs> I don't think that's the one. Well, so there you go. So one of them is the Severus of the Great of Antioch. Which one are you talking about? I'm talking about Saint Severus of Naples. Oh. Um, and here his story. Severus brought a dead man back to life after the man's widow and children had uh, been left destitute. Uh, the facts are these: a man of Naples one day went to a uh, bathing establishment, forgot to take with him the usual fee for the proprietor, one egg. The man promised to pay the bathkeeper back. Unfortunately, he died a few days later, and the bathkeeper then demanded from the widow a large amount of money that he pretended the deceased man had owed him. A judge ordered that the woman and her children be sold into slavery since she could not pay. The widow appealed to St. Severus for assistance. Severus declared the dead man himself shall give evidence. The town was gathered together at the man's tomb, and Severus asked the dead man to answer answered truthfully about how much he owed the bathkeeper. The corpse opened his eyes, stood up, and said, I owe but one egg. Then he fell back again. Crowd immediately attacked the bathkeeper, but Severus protected the man from further harm. So, wow. So that's Severus of Naples. And I feel like kind of with the opening verse of the song, that's kind of what it ties into. I feel like that definitely fits better than a a Greek Orthodox (laughs) saint that has a feast day on February 8th every year. I was kind of confused. I was like, why is this important here? But I should probably <laughs> note it because it does come up very prominently. But what religion, uh, all religion, just I'm going to refer to you in general, get your shit together. Right. You got to you got to number these people. You got to you got to categorize them or something. Kyle's here. talking to you. All religions. All religions. Uh, come on. Get on top of that. Jesus is also a member of religions. Jesus is a member of several. Several. From what I indeed. hear. Matthew, I would uh, like to cut an album, but I switched blades already. Oh, that was a a bag. I got better, but I'll no. So, Switchblade. Switchblade is the name of the next song. In case you haven't figured that out yet, I wish I could tell you what this song reminds me of. It has a very familiar sound to it, and I can't identify. But it's good. It's very good, and it's excellent storytelling again. Another nice story song about Uh, crime on the border. Essentially told from the point of view of a surviving member of a gang who set off to pull the perfect crime, to do the perfect crime. One of the guys manages to escape, and he keeps waiting for the call to confirm that his friends are dead. Deaths that came about by Switchblade, the very same Switchblade that he bought for them to commit the crimes. 
and that's the switch blade. <laughs> oh, it's so smartly See, that, written. That was a way better pun than mine. It sounds like this. Go ahead. I like this song a lot. <laughs> uh, I, one of the things that I found was most interesting, at the beginning he talks about going to Mexico and getting a tattoo of a moth and a butterfly. Yep. Uh, and I was hoping there was some direct symbolism there. Uh, like maybe it was going to be, oh, a tattoo of a, uh, the imagery of a moth and a butterfly has this direct symbolism. I couldn't find anything. Oh, there's nothing? But oh. moths and butterflies do both go through that four-stage life cycle. Uh, egg, larva, pupa, and then into adult. I thought you were going to talk about pupas. Pupas? 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 Pupas. Pupas. That is uh, where this is going to start, though, because egg and larva, you know, whatever. Pupa is where the little... Uh, <laughs> The little, uh, why can't I think of it, what it's called now? Caterpillar spins a little thing around itself and lives inside of a cocoon for a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then emerges as a beautiful butterfly or a wonderful moth. Um, the idea of getting a tattoo of a moth or a, and a butterfly, I think, symbolizes both that they are now mature, they've become an adult, but also it signifies that end of life mm. because that's the last stage you've you go to mexico you get the moth and the butterfly and now you know it's the something's going to end right like several of their lives yeah it's actually a really beautifully written song it is i like it a lot the more catholic references here mm -hmm. statues of mary crying i could be on the right track with the whole religious thing you could be i like it but we'll never know no we won't know leaky little boat oh, actually hang on before we do it david you got anything to say about switchblade no i'm but <laughs> uh, you know that I will interrupt you if yeah, there's something to add. I, I just, but, so oh, if I can get cut. you to if I can get you to raise your hand when you have a comment, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I'll do, I'll I'll do that, and then and then we'll call on. You. I'll tell you what my favorite part of the song is is yeah. when he's you know he's pretending about how the the fight is going and he's putting his switchblade high in the sky thinking pretending like you know he's don quixote and <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a war that's going to happen but it's just me myself and i and then uh the horns come in and the whole band comes in and then uh and then the chorus starts so it uh it's kind of a, I, for me it's just a reflection of what might have been and what he thinks could happen but it, we don't know if it has so it's you know cool <laughs> Leaky little boat. A leaky little boat. This is almost a country reggae song. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's not actually reggae, but it nears it with the rhythm. You know, tells a story of being lost at sea on a small boat that sprung a leak, which is clearly a well-intentioned metaphor for being alone and adrift in your life. Mm -hmm. As he spots in the distance numerous other leaky drifting boats that are just as alone as he is, but they are all alone together, and it sounds like this. In my leaky little boat In my leaky little boat In my leaky little 
It's interesting to me that a lot of bands from that uh, border region in, in Arizona and New Mexico and Texas have music that sounds similar to this that I would describe as like country reggae. Yeah, it has its, it, I don't know if it's the Southwestern sound or whatever it is, like the Seattle sound sounded yeah. a, a particular way. What's, yeah. what's crazy to me too, is I would expect this sound to come from somewhere like on the, the Caribbean side, mm-hmm. like the, the Mexico, Texas. Instead of the Baja. Yeah. Instead side. of the Baja side, but it's almost always Baja side bands. Yeah. Ad- Baja adjacent bands. That's a good way to put it. Uh, that have this kind of a sound or have a couple of songs like this. And it's, it's got to be something with what is influencing them yeah. in the surrounding areas. So they're getting maybe country music from like Texas, and they're getting uh, the the Mexican flair from from down south, from and Mexico, they're, and they're getting some California sound, more beachy, almost punkish sounds from California, There's- and all kind of melding together. There's not like a secret Jamaican like uh, not continent. Uh- What's it called where you go settle somewhere? Settlement. Settlement. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Homestead. Homestead. I'm losing my fucking mind. There's not a secret Jamaican settlement just south of the border in between Arizona and New Mexico, is there? There could be. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. So there is a part of this song that's different from the rest of the songs Hmm. musically, which I guess you could define music. But in the beginning, it sounds like he's trying to tune a radio. Mm-hmm. And it's not coming into tune mm-hmm. and he's singing into it and he's not quite into tune. And he's trying to find that station that he can't oh. find, quite find. Yeah, he's kind of on the professor's uh, radio on yeah, uh, from Gilligan's Island. It's like an yeah. echoey, scratchy. Right? Two, two coconuts. Uh, it's got feedback, you know. So, yeah, it's kind of cool the way it starts off. Would we call that a Mexican whoa radio? <laughs> <laughs> we, we might. Okay, just checking. Uh, my favorite lyrical moment of the songs, the, and this kind of told me what the whole song was really about, was uh, alone, adrift, together we are, slowly sinking in a deep blue sea, but we smile and we wave and we say, I'm afraid and I love you, and here we go. And that's, you know, you got these people alone together, but still waving from a distance yeah. saying, you know, we're in it together, but I don't want to, I don't want to be close to you, but I love you and I hope you're okay, <laughs> essentially. Enjoy your slow death. Bye. And then they just wave at each other. Introverts. <laughs> but God gave me a gun. What? Wow. Why would he do that? Wait, right? Well, he's going to trust you with that? No. That what? I would. So here, here's uh, circling back around a punk song, basically, right in the middle here. It has such punk ideals to it. And it has this, it's an anti-war song. Mm. And it talks about how both sides, it pro- I, I could not find if this is a direct reference to the conflict in the Middle East that's been going on for the past 20 whatever years. Felt like it. Um, but it definitely feels like it. And it's a direct reference to how America is saying, well, God gave us, our Christian God gave us a gun to go and liberate these people. And people in the Middle East are saying, no, our God gave us a gun to prevent you from coming here and telling us what to do. And what line would have given that away? Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, uh, screaming of the engines, bringing down the vengeance. Hell from the heavens in is state of the art. Tell the ones you love that the hawks killed the dove, and I can save your soul with a bullet through the heart. Uh huh. You know, and that and your God's name's not spelled that the one same. Too. That, that line, one right? Too. So it's one of the most up tempo songs on the record. Has some great Sp- Spanish flair in it. 
as well, and clearly an indictment of the U.S. war machine and the general attitude of Americans in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the first thing that first time anything political has popped up on this record that I can recall. I would say yes. First time I heard it, I thought he was in favor of it, almost like a Second Amendment cry, like very uh, Charlton Hestony, you can pry my gun out of my cold, dead hands kind of situation. Uh, but that clearly isn't the case. Uh, he's he's telling it uh, very simply. It sounds like this. to me that you kind of heard this as a pro-war song to begin with and then it became an anti-war song the more you listen to it because the first time i heard it i was like oh this has that punk aesthetic to it that anti-war anti-imperialism anti-american expansionism idea behind it simply because it has that sort of punk underlying feel to it you're listening to the music usually first i think we've established that we we both listen to different things you usually pick out lyrics i pick out the music first yep and something I uh, alluded to much earlier about how he writes uh, throughout the song, the chorus, he, he says, might makes right. And then he says, who shall we fight? And then the second time he says, who shall we smite? And he he changes it every single yeah. time. And I think that's just really, really smart writing. I would say that as a whole, this is my favorite full band performance on the record. Uh, it sounds really full. It's mixed really well it's definitely good energy there you know it's it's a uh, good you got you got anything over there uh guy no i you know when i first heard it i thought it was let's go kick some ass and that's all you know because you're drinking tequila and you're at this concert <laughs> and you're yelling the words and I, and i'll be honest when i first heard the album that was the farthest thing from my mind i thought it was like yeah let's just go kick some butt and you know after i <clears throat> started listening to it more and more and then matthew had said wow, there's a song God gave me again. I was like, well, okay. Yeah. I like that song political. Wow. Anti-war. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? I guess it is. <laughs> and I, you know, for me, I'm more of the music guy than the lyric guy. I listen to the, you know, because of my music background, of course, I'm listening to the bass parts and the drums and everything else. And then how the guitars come in. So I, I, I identify with that. And then the lyrics are always kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, that fits. <laughs> so, it, so I, I do love this song, but uh, you know, that's how uh, Kyle is. again, yeah. and, and again, just like I said, but part of the reason why I picked this album was because I wanted you guys to really delve into this, uh, and give your listeners an opportunity to appreciate something that maybe they like the song, but they don't understand it. And I've liked the things that you guys have done so much more now that I understand what I'm listening to. And so, oh. so this is, oh. this is good. That's so sweet. This is good. Well, <laughs> would right. it keep you loco to stay sane? Maybe. <laughs> I like this. It's a kind of a slow rock song right in the middle here. It, is it a little bluesy? Could it's it be a, a little bluesy? It's a little bluesy. It has a melody from like an old 
Elvis Costello song or something uh, yeah. like that again. It's good. So lyrically, and again, this is what I go back to. Lyrically, it has three different people uh, the narrator is dealing with. He's dealing with a doctor, a general, and a fortune teller. And the narrator is looking for the answers, whether that be some drugs or a ticket out of war or their future. And they each have the same answer in their own way. He's going to have to figure it out for himself. Sounds like this. I've said a few times I really like the production work on the record. It's solid. Uh, the two two producers of the record, uh, Dusty Wakeman and Peter Lubin. Dusty Wakeman has had some successes with uh, Lucinda Williams, and I was not able to find out anything more about Peter Lubin. Hmm. Um, what do you got? Just that it's. Uh, I like the idea that uh, it's. You have to be a little crazy to get through the everyday pieces of life. I would say that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Do you? Yeah. What about you? Would you would you prefer to like do like eight shots of uh, Mexican moonshine? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Because that's the next song. It is Mexican moonshine. I love this song. It it's is. it's a mariachi song. This could easily be a hit for Jimmy Buffett. Right. Right. It has that down on the beach vibe. It's a fun song to listen to, and I imagine a fun song to sing along to. It also has the double entendre uh, because what is he actually talking about? Right. Is he talking about the glow of the moon on a Mexican beach? Or is he talking about a distilled spirit that he's drinking on a Mexican beach? Or is he talking about drinking a distilled spirit on a Mexican beach under the glow of the moon? You be the judge. Mexican moonshine. Mexican moonshine. Speaking of tequila, <laughs> Mexican Moonshine was the name of Roger Klein's tequila brand. Uh, they just changed it to uh, Cancion Tequila. Yeah, he used uh, to serve that. Well, he does serve it at his bar in Puerto Penasco called Banditos. I believe David is the only one of us that's actually had any of it. How is it? Uh, it is amazing, and it is hard to get a hold of because they have select markets uh, that they have been trying to sell it yeah. to. But it's, Can I get it in Tempe? Um, wow, that is a good question. I think I had moved from Arizona prior to them distilling their own. So you don't tequila. think you can get it in Arizona? You can. Uh, can you get us some? Can you bring it back? Uh, the next time I go either to Arizona or 
Circus Mexicus in June, which they will sell plenty of. Yeah. I will definitely pick up some I will bottles. say you can order it online if you live in a state where you can get alcohol delivered. That's here. So Nevada, we can. So we could order it online if we wanted. Ooh, um, have it for an episode. Supposedly, we were talking about this earlier. I went to, a, a, I'm not going to mention their name, but I went to a local uh, liquor distributor who supposedly the website says carries it and they do not. Would you say this is a complete like like a, like, would, a like a warehouse and I, beer would, store? I would totally whine about their <laughs> lack of having this tequila <laughs> um if, if i had a moment to do so uh yeah they they did not have it um it's lovely but you can order it online and on the website there is a request so if you are in somewhere else in the united states and you'd be interested in trying this you can put in a request and they might contact one of your local liquor distributors and be able to send them a case, and then you could get some. Oh, I like this idea. Uh, it's, it's a great song. It so. is. Let's see what else. I, I believe, unless you have more about this song. Oh, I did, because I had to look something up, because he says the word cantinero in the song. I had to look that, that word up. Apparently, that means bartender. Ah. Which I did not know. I'm going to put that one in my back pocket for later. Uh, I, I only know cerveceria, which is like a, a beer distributor. Good enough. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I got to bring up, because I was thinking about it earlier and I thought it was kind of funny. I know that I talk a lot about fuck songs. <laughs> Try to pick one out on every single album. Uh-huh. I have decided that a mariachi song cannot be a fuck song. What? Because you'd be you'd be doing it on the tuba. The t- <laughs> wah, 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 wah. It's too slow. You can't. What? You, you can't. You can't go that slow. But what if it's like a quick? That's like I don't know. I just don't think it works. Oh, I'm sorry, mariachi fans. Maybe I'm wrong. Let me know. But how don't? How would you feel about your name on a grain grain of rice? Wow, that would be a fantastic feat. This feels like Toad the Wet Sprocket a little bit, but just the music a little bit. Just the music because his voice has a lot more gravel than Glenn's, and I think this is probably my favorite song in the record. Maybe second. This one is right up there. There's a little melancholy in this song, which I am a huge sucker for. I love it. Uh, the song is about the end of a relationship, and he has run away to some place down in Mexico, naturally, to heal from the heartache. And all he wants is for his ex to see how much he's changed. But she most likely will never see him change because he's down there and she's in the States. It's classic heartaches stuff with really smart lyrics. Sounds a little bit like this, or a lot bit. I see the sun setting over America I'm trying to leave my darker side behind I'm feeling my way down Desert highway, wish my rearview mirror could tell me a lie. Come on, these are such great lyrics, and I wish more artists put as much thought into the lyrical content as he clearly does because it makes a lot of us happy yeah. that, that are really tuned into this stuff. Lyrics like, I am a father, a son, a restless spirit. I can see the light, but I can never get near it. Now, what good is my love song if you ain't around to hear it? Come on. Right? That's Very just good. not good words, which which they are. But the rhyming schemes, like I said earlier, are so intricate and interesting. 
that it just makes it that much better. And I absolutely love it. I will say I immediately grabbed on to the name of this song, Your Name on a Grain of Rice. Yeah. You've seen that before, right? Yes. The tourist trappy bullshit where somebody yeah. under a giant magnifying glass will write your name on a grain of rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found out that that process of writing on a grain of rice is actually very old. It's thought to have originated in India or Turkey thousands of years ago. Uh, rice was chosen because it represents uh, good fortune, wealth, and fertility. Ah. Makes sense. Uh, it also represents a deeper connection to the earth. Um, the oldest known piece of rice that has writing on it that's still known about is in Turkey in a museum. Uh, and like I said, today it's every shitty tourist trap in the world has like a booth where somebody will write your name on a piece of rice. But I thought that was interesting that he chose that not only as a metaphor for, you know, that deep rooted emotional attachment that you have with another person, but it's also this completely superficial, you know, yeah, you grab one of those when you're on vacation and you keep it in a little vial somewhere like, look, it says Kyle on a grain of rice. But what, <laughs> what's he saying in the song is that he gladly pay any amount of money, right? To to have her name on a grain of rice. And something that she would see because she clearly he clearly values that relationship so much and she's not around to see it. Exactly. Just uh, just tears your heart out. Uh, so, David, what's written on your grain of rice? A uh, really great song. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of hard to fit on. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, they can get an entire Bible on the head that's, of a pen. That's true. Thanks, lasers. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's almost a completely different and same song uh, with the entire album. Like the song stands alone and yet it streams with all the other great songs and they're all so different and so similar. It's, it's hard to, so good too. It's just so good. Sounds so good. And the lazy guitar in the beginning, and then it picks up speed as I like he's it. talking about his lost love. What you got there, Kyle? Got more notes? No. Uh, <laughs> no. So I keep closing the wrong window on my phone. Uh, so, uh, Love, uh, come lighten my load. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Of course, you had to take it to a disgusting place. Oh, yeah, you never do. So anyways, about this fuck song we're about to talk about. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, no. a, it's a little shuffle beat tune. It's right? all right. So I know this is your choice of albums, David, so I don't want to be too harsh. But this is the one song on the record that I, that I feel could have been left off, because I don't think it really adds too much to the record if, if you like run it together. Yeah. Um, it's an okay song. It's a nice love song. It does seem to have some musical Bob... Or actually some lyrical Bob Marley references in it, because he talks about one love a few times, and I always appreciate that. Uh, lyrically, this is is for sure my least favorite, but it's okay. You know, you know here's a little bit of what it sounds like. Who do you love? Who do you love? Ask yourself, free yourself, Now that I hear that clip, it's almost got a little gospel in it. A little bit. I do love the vocal harmonies, sort of a, the backing vocal harmonies in this song. We don't hear that anywhere else on this album. That's true. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the rest of their catalog to know if that's a common thing that happens later or if this is like a one-off thing. But I take I, back I like my it. harsh comments. I like it a lot. My semi-harsh comments, I take them back. Because it does have some gospel in it. It is actually kind of interesting in, in places. Yeah. Anything? You? Well, Anyone? if you... If- 
Yeah, you. Hope, well, hopefully it, you guys will listen to the two prior albums from uh, Roger Klein, The Peacemakers. And I think you've already heard some of their stuff from the refreshments. And then when you listen to this album, I, I can see where Matt might, Matthew might say, well, it's, it's not my favorite, but I like it. It's because when I first got this album, it just felt like their greatest hits from all the stuff that they had done because all of the songs were so well engineered, well put together, mm. great category. And then you have something that almost seems like if it was by itself, you might like it better, but it, it almost for me kind of like is an add on. I can see that. I can that see that sense? maybe we're seeing this isolated, so isolated that we can't appreciate the stuff that came before it in context. Yeah. I yeah. get it. So I get that. If you listen to their complete catalog, you're like, oh yeah, this sounds really good. It's right along with some of these other songs that they've done. Um, so But would you leave a door open? <laughs> Bruno Mars would, but uh, that's a totally different song. Oh, okay. So so I like <laughs> Oh man. I like this song a lot. Right? And and this one sounds really rooted in nineties style alternative rock that isn't grunge. Yeah. I will say really quick, I yeah. did mutilate that a little bit to make it fit with the lead-in. The title is actually Leave an Open Door. Leave an Open Door, yes. I'm thinking of bands like uh, Buffalo Tom or Paul Westerberg and The Replacements. Yeah. Not The, refle- not the Refreshments, because that would be too obvious, but The Replacements. You gotta love going, like doing this at the end of the record. Most of the last several songs tend to steer away from that Mexican motif that we, yeah. had, that we had going and kind of shift to... uh, Love lost or unrequited or love waiting to return. Or breaking up. Right? It's a pretty tender song with some really first-class guitar playing going on. So metaphorically, what do you guys think the open door is supposed to represent? Because obviously this is left so open, you could interpret it a whole bunch of different ways. You tell us. So I think it's the idea uh, that they're at that end of a breakup where you've had the fights, you've had, you know, the the sadness, you've had the the mental breakdown, and you're finally like, I'm over it, let's separate, but you still leave the door open behind you. Just a crack. Just a crack. So you can go back and you can get back into it if you you later on change your mind yeah i'd say that's pretty accurate yeah and there's a uh, when you go farther into the song he he keeps uh almost i wouldn't say yelling but he's uh very loudly singing carry on yeah Mm -hmm. carry on and he's he lengthens that and that keeps that's that that theme that uh the underlying theme of the song so yeah i I agree i think i like it i think i think it's a good song so the original track listing of the album had 13 tracks. Number 12 was uh, the next one, Silence. So I take back what I said a little bit earlier about the, that other song being my least favorite on the record, mm. because this for sure is 35 seconds of silence. I just couldn't, <laughs> I feel like I just couldn't get into it. I thought the production lacked a little bit here, and I've heard better silence. It's not... Uh... Now, see, I have to totally disagree with you there. Oh, here we go. 
This silence is the best 35 go. seconds of silence I have ever heard on an album. See, this in is what makes the podcast right here. Life. It is so perfectly with your headphones on. Did you listen to it with headphones? I did. Because that's what really does it. The the Two sets spatial of awareness of the silence, it surrounds you. The engineering I got one the, word for you. Uh, bullshit. Oh, bullshit to you, sir. <laughs> the engineering that had to go into creating that silence and just it surrounds you. It it, it comes right at you, but it's also very big. Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Let's let's just move on to the next one. So track thirteen, a little hung over you. You're not gonna pronounce that a little hung. Over you. Over you. This, yes, this is my favorite song on the record. It's Honky Tonk. It's a Honky Tonk and song. And I totally Close dig it. The record. Perfectly placed at the end of the record to leave leave you feeling like you had a good old boozy time down at Banditos. Yeah. Here's a, here's a piece right here. I'm just a little honky over you. Headaches and heartaches will end. Bring me aspirin, my friends. What I need is some laughs. Back on the road, then I'm back on the men, back in the saddle again. And I'm the winner of the bonds to rodeo. And now I don't get so, I don't cry anymore. I've seen a bar and flow a time or two before. I know I'm gonna pull through, I'm just a little humble. This is a great fucking song. Great, right? it really is. It's a. <laughs> We talked about it through this whole album. There's a little bit of country here. There's a little bit of that that border sound of music, and I think that honky tonk really pulls all of that together in a very special way. Like, I agree. It's it's great. It is a great closing song. Oh, and there's a wonderful guitar solo in this song as well. Yeah, and I'm not sure who plays it. I don't know if Roger plays that or uh, Steve Larson, yeah, the other I guitarist. I couldn't. It's find not that clear. Either. They they're kind of both labeled as lead guitarists, so you never really know who's doing what. Um, so we've had some fun talking about this album from our patron, David, on our first patron's choice episode, but we aren't quite done just yet, because as an added bonus, we have the man himself on the phone with us right now. So I'd like to welcome in Roger Klein of Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. So, uh, Matthew and uh, Kyle are going to go over some questions. Um, of course, I'm much more familiar with your music uh, and we've been able to go over some songs and they are really curious. I know they've become fans since we've been uh, diving into the album and your career. And so I think maybe before we get started, would you have any questions for us? Uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm uh, you're talking to Matthew now and Kyle's right over here. Hello. Howdy, Matthew. <laughs> Howdy, Kyle. Good to meet you. You too. And uh, first of all, thanks for joining us today. Uh Generally, how are things going post-pandemic-ish? Things getting somewhat back back to normal, or they are yeah. they are yes and no. Like the post-pandemic-ish thing is sort of you know we can all there's qualifiers to that. Sure, it's like we're sort of right. I don't know. I don't know where we are in the, in the wave. Are we at the the, the crest? Or are we in the back of it? I'm not sure. Um, for musicians, it's it's tough because every zip code has its own. Um, you know, regulations or what they want to uh, do or impose. Um, will there be masks? Will there not be masks? I've got a lot of friends who are musicians who, you know, want safety measures in place. I have others who don't. And there's equally uh, a lot of variation across the board with the venues, state to state. So 
getting touring backing or back on the rails has been really difficult. Furthermore, all those shows that were canceled in 2020 and part of 2021 have created a backlog of artists wanting to get into venues, but there are so many qualifiers, i.e. the ones I just outlined, that um, it's just a real log jam. And I'm, I'll be, I'll be pleased to talk about this a year from now. Hopefully it'll normalize and I'll be, <laughs> I'll be sick of being on the road again. But right now I, I'm thirsty. I want to get back on the bus and engage in my band's purpose, which is to you know, celebrate life through rock and roll in front of a live audience. And right now it's been really difficult. Right. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not crying. I'm just answering a question. Oh yeah. Well, no, we're all <laughs> ready for it too. Yeah. We are all ready and hungry for live music again. I can tell you that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I noticed in doing some of our research for this, that from the very beginning, uh, you and the band have kind of used the power of the internet uh, to drive your success. What originally pushed you guys in that direction in the late 90s? Because it was such a, a a unique thing for a band to do at that time, because so many of them were sort of fighting against the internet as, you know, oh, that's where all the, the piracy is coming from, and we're losing money on that. And you guys sort of embraced it and said, no, no, we're going to sell our albums on the internet and do fan outreach and build ourselves with the internet before anybody else was doing that. What What, what pushed you guys in that direction? Well, I wish I could take credit for that. That's a correct assessment. We did we did jump into the brave frontier uh, very quickly, but I was I was neither a believer or a non-believer. I just was sort of honestly I was an in, indifferent artist thinking but this internet's really going to take off, you know, question mark. I'll give the visionary uh, steps and process to our manager at the time, a guy named Michael Lustig, who found the refreshments and also ushered the peacemakers into the internet age. Um he was the one who said, this is going to be the way. This is going to be the great equalizer, the great democratizer. This is what's going to take power and put it back in the hands of the artists. And so I pretty much just was, was making music and I followed his way. And he said, let's, let's strip the power away from, from the major labels. Let's not even go talk to them right now. Their paradigm is archaic. And we're going to put out Real to Real and Honky Tonk Union directly to the people through this new tool called the Internet. And I went, Okay, you know, and, and that's lo and behold, Billboard called us up a few weeks later and said, "Who is Roger? Who are Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, and why are they number one on our charts?" So I'm giving that strictly to, to Michael. I was just a singer songwriter, kind of along for the ride. And then after that, I, I started paying attention to his vision, and we used that deliberately and directly. Um, but that's that's how we did it. As sort of a follow up to that, like. Uh, so much has changed in that 20 year period or 22 year period, I guess. Uh, we've gone so much from, you know, individual sales to streaming and without obviously getting into too much specifics, because that's a little bit of a gauche topic, but do you, uh, do you still make money off of streaming on the internet or, and do you think that as an artist, you could survive wholly off of like modern internet music only distribution? Okay, first question, um, do we make money off of streaming? Um, it's a resounding not really. I mean, if we if we count up the amount of streams that we get, um, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna pay the utility bill for any one of us. But the other side of that coin is it's a necessary, and I won't say evil, it's just a necessary tool to provide streaming to to, to people via Spotify or whatever source you want so that they can find you via other artists and try your music without having to pay for it. It's, it's an interesting moment where you basically give your 
art up for free and hope that it resonates with enough people that they're going to come to a show. They're going to buy that ticket. They're going to buy that T-shirt. They're going to tell a friend. And if we're super lucky, they're going to find our tequila somewhere and come <laughs> back. And that's how that's how that works as a marketing tool more than a revenue generator. Yeah, it's a very strange time in music for sure. It is. I did not want to embrace it. I was very, very against it at first and then looked at what was going on. Tried, objectively, I got my my princess artist ass out of the way and went, okay, we're going to do this. And it's, it's made a big difference. All right. So we'll get off the business side now. So we've been, we spent the last hour talking about Americano. Um, You spent an hour talking about that record. It's only 58 minutes long, right? Or 53 minutes long. We got a lot to talk about. There's, there's so much. It's first of all, great record. It's super rich. Um, uh, I'm a, I'm a big lyric junkie so it's lyrically dense and it's like right up my alley and i think it's fantastic um i very much appreciate that because there are even people in my band have never heard my lyrics it's, it's amazing <laughs> it is i was actually i was at not to quote americano but i was at a i was at a duo show with ph and me we're the founders of the peacemakers and he we're at a sound check and he turned towards me after we did interstate and he's like wow so over there at the trailer park, we got a million souls in the lost and found. I was like, you dick. I've been singing that past you through your head. And that's not even one of like the big lines. And he's like, wow, it's a good line. Yeah. Thanks. Use that. Just, just play on whatever, whatever you do. Just keep the beat, dude. Yeah, you're the drummer. Just keep drumming. Uh, that's, but, but he excels at it. So I, I, I forgive. So do you have any personal favorites from the record? Because uh, I know I have favorites, but what are your personal favorites from the record? Uh, you know, um, it's it's sort of you gotta uh, don't let the songs hear this because they'll get jealous. right. It's like your kids, I know. Uh, yeah, they are, and every artist says that. But I sure love playing when it anytime it comes up. I sure love playing Switchblade, just super fun drama murder song. Um, <laughs> I just I have a lot of fun in that darkness. Um, I and I really I really love the optimism and the hope and I don't know what else but I love playing leave an open door which is not that re- requested but those two are are bookend for me I really like playing those so I know uh, I think one generally one of the favorites on the record is uh, Mexican moonshine first of all because it's it's a lot of fun to sing to besides to listen to it's I mean it's a it's a party song it's a it it could be easily be an anthem. It's like a, a tequila drinking, sitting on the beach anthem. Well, I, I, cool. I hope so. I haven't given up. Maybe it will be someday. Well, <laughs> what can you tell us uh, about that song besides you know besides the fact that it's about tequila? Um, well, it's about it's double entendre. So it's both about tequila and also about literal moonshine. So it's both things, and it's essentially historical historically accurate. It was me stumbling around with a bottle. Um, in some little village in Mexico, basically humming that tune and and telling that story. And then I uh, catalyzed it at some point behind a guitar. Um, I guess autobiographical, totally true, and hopefully it applies to every man, every woman, anytime. So I noticed that you kind of have the opposite philosophy of so many musicians and bands um, in that so many musicians try to get away from their hometown, away from where they grew up to try to become, you know, 
bigger musicians and you really embraced where you grew up. You embraced Arizona, you embraced Southern Arizona and, and, and sort of ran with it. Uh, how do you think that, I mean, why do you think that worked out so well for you? Well, I'm glad you think it did. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to disagree. What I think happened is I got it out of my system before I ever hit record on any tape. Um, fact is, I grew up child of divorce, as are so many people who, you know, kind of had parents in the 70s and 60s. Um, my father, they're really disparate sort of lives. My father's a cattle rancher to this day. My mother is a retired school teacher. And they divorced when I was five or six. And took me different ways. But um, in the end, I, I embraced them both. But I think I got to a sense of self by the time I was about 17 or 18. So that I could be the guy who could work a lariat and skateboard, wear cowboy boots, and also find a mosh pit, <laughs> you know, at, all at the same time. And somehow I blended those elements. And before... Before I ever ran away from Arizona, I was just secure with it, and it became the cradle. It became where I came from, and I love this state, and there's there's none better. So I guess I got lucky in that regard. I was sort of torn apart and then put back together before I became an artist, and then I never equivocated, luckily. So... I noticed on the record there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, I don't know about a lot but there's some religious imagery that you use uh, pretty consistently. Uh, what's your background there with with uh, writing with religious references and stuff? Oh, what's my background there? Yeah. Um, let's see. It goes way back to um, being, you know, being brought up Christian Episcopal by my mother, being brought up sort of agnostic, if not atheist by my father i went to a catholic school brophy prep for some time i also went to a, a public school mcclintock high for some time so it was kind of balanced out but i give most of my source entrance to uh, an author a cross-cultural mythologist whom i met in not literally but um through academia in the anthropology program a program at Arizona State, a, a guy named Joseph Campbell, who exposed me to cross-cultural mythology. And I found commonalities in the human stories through his narratives that go back millennia. And I, I found the common humanity in all of these stories was undeniable. And hopefully um, I haven't betrayed it or, or done it any injustice by invoking it in music. Oh, that's terrific. So, Roger, uh, I have a pretty good, uh, I feel like, closing question for you here. Are you sick to death of having people request that you play the King of the Hill theme song? Or does it still bring you a little bit of joy every time you play it? Or is it dependent on the night? It, it, it's. I think it's none of those. Actually, nobody requests that song. <laughs> nobody knows we wrote it. So we we put it at the end of the finale in any given night just to just to put a punctuation mark on the set because it's this um you know, it's this romp. But most new listeners or and or viewers just don't know we wrote that. And I'll, I'll find people at the end and then I go, oh, you did a good job of that King of the Hill theme. I go, good, because we fucking wrote it. You know? <laughs> Anyways, no, it's just, um, 
it's just a habit of ours. We put it in usually the end of any song that ends the set in E major, you know, and, and we throw it in. So no, nobody requests it because nobody knows. So the, the, the only thing I wanted to tell you is Bravo on Viva Love. I love uh, that song. I know it's, we're not covering it, but I just, no, but thank I, you. I actually. just heard that. And I, the background vocals and the, the, it, it's almost like you change genres with the fifties guitar to it's, it's all, it, I was telling Matthew or actually uh, I was telling uh, my other friend, Matthew, not this Matthew, uh, <laughs> sorry, Matt, about, um, I go, you got to listen to this song. It should be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> Well, just, tell Quentin that, yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, no, I really appreciate that. There are some songs that I get to hang my hat on as an artist that I go, you know, if I had to leave a song or five songs behind, um, that one makes the cut for me. And I appreciate you recognizing that it's, um, it's well out of, out of our shell as a band. And, uh, as an artist, I had to stretch to make that one happen, but I appreciate you hearing it as you did. And I know you say that because you're probably your worst critic, but I felt like it was, and it wasn't, it was Roger Klein and the peacemakers and they just stretched a little bit, but it still cool. has Thank all you. of the same stuff, but you, it seems like you just pulled from almost every album you've ever done and you made that song. So that Groovy. was, Thank my, you. That's, appreciate my, that's, that. that's my opinion on that one. Well, I know he said, I, uh, Kyle said that, uh, it was the last question. But it isn't quite the last question, because I have one more that I ask of all of our interviewees um, to put you on the spot a little bit. So uh, if you're on a desert... Margaritas. Nah, there you go. Well, there you go. I'll write it down right now. If you're right. on a desert island to, and you can only take five records with you and you're going to be stranded there, you're only taking five. What five records are you taking? Good Lord. All right. right? I'm going to always try, do this. try to do it quick. Um, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, Greatest Hits. Ooh. Great record. Um, shoot, <laughs> they might be giants flood. Oh my gosh. We did an episode on that whole, that's a, that's a great record. Let's see. I, I wish I, I wish I could give the title of the record, but any compendium by sons of the pioneers. Okay. We'll look that one up. Is that three? Oh, you don't yeah. know sons of the pioneers? No. Oh, please look them up. So I'm and and go now. towards the older stuff. Okay. But that's three, right? Yep, that's three. Uh, Gimme Fiction by Spoon. Another great record. And I'm going to be torn between two. One's a classic, and one's I'm, one I'm just getting into to know the man better. But I'm going to... We can give I'm you both of them. Ask, cool. Ask me later. I'm going to... This is the last one. I can't remember which one. I'm going to throw onto that beach uh, on that island. But it's either Nevermind the Bullocks oh, sex by pistols? the Sex Pistols. Or it's in my head by my friend and lead guitarist Jim Dalton that just came out, and I'm fascinated by that record. All right, we're going to check that one out too. Give him a call. We love doing that list only because we know probably ten minutes from now it would probably be slightly different. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to say the Lord's the New Church first record should be in there too. You know? <laughs> so many, but I was only allowed to pack five. When That's I right. Six. You can only pack five. Well, you can sneak six in. So, uh, Roger Klein, thank you so much for uh, uh, talking with us tonight. Uh, anything the you want? The pleasure was mine. Thank you for the depth of the interview. Yes. Yeah. I really appreciate your guys' thoughtfulness. Yeah. Well, what do you, you. want to? Yeah. What yeah, do you, you want to plug? Push? Anything? Um, no, I want to push live music. Like wherever, 
wherever your favorite artist or wherever somebody is unknown and they're taking the stage, please get the fuck off the couch and don't be so old <laughs> and don't be so tight with your wallet. Get out and celebrate life through live music. Amen. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. And, Thanks, uh, Roger. You re- you the have pleasure a great was night. mine, gentlemen. Have a great night. Carry on. Take care. love. Adios. So that's it. That's Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. Thank you so much, Roger, for for that interview. If you want to learn more about the band, uh, their website is rogerkleinandthepeacemakers.com. That is R-O-G-E-R-C-L-Y-N-E and thepeacemakers.com. Facebook.com forward slash Roger Klein. Twitter, they are at AZ Peacemakers. Excuse me. AZ Peacemakers. Uh, they have an official YouTube channel called the official Roger Klein and the Peacemakers YouTube channel. A lot of their albums are on there. Um, obviously if you want to support the band, that's not the best way to listen to them, but they are there. Uh, and on Instagram, they are at Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. Um, upcoming wise, since this episode won't be out for a little bit, uh, they have a bunch of, uh, dates scheduled in October, 2021, but I don't think this episode will be out in time. So the only one that was on their website uh, that will be is uh, the January Jam, which is uh, January 14th through 16th, 2022. So if you do want to go hear them live, uh, look them up on their website. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to be playing a whole bunch of dates coming up in 2022, so especially that, especially if you live in the uh, Arizona, New Mexico uh, area. That was an awesome interview. Uh, thank you so much for hooking that up, David. Yes. That's a nice little surprise we weren't really expecting. Um so David had this awesome opportunity to host an episode with us. How do you think it went, Dave? I think it went great. I'm really glad that I got to show you guys something that, for once, I feel like I had the upper hand to show you <laughs> something that you weren't familiar with when you guys have been able to show me so many groups and artists and bands that I wasn't as familiar with and that i grown to appreciate. And I think after tonight's show... I really hope that your fans and those that listen to your podcast will feel like, yeah, I haven't been to Arizona, but I feel like a part of it now. And this is something that I want to listen to. That's awesome. Spiritually, we've all been to Arizona tonight. And I'm just happy to learn that we can do a podcast with clothes on. Right. uh, When we have a guest here. That's great to know. That is good to know. So, Kyle. (laughs) So, why am I not wearing clothes? But I, oh, 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 wait. oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's a hazing thing. Uh, Kyle, if other people wanted to join in on this fun and co host an episode with us, uh, how would they do that? Well, Matthew, we have a Patreon account. We do, we do. So, the level that David at is at is called the Backstage Pass uh, Patreon supporter level. For $20 a month, you get a very special personalized gift. And the chance to co-host an audio judo episode on the album of your choice, just like David did. Uh, this benefit activates after one year of the patronage at this tier and can only be activated once. You also get all the benefits of our previous tier, which is called the Front Row Seats tier. It's five bucks a month, and we would love it if you would support us. So if you enjoy the podcast, it's five bucks a month, and you get some little bonuses out of it. You get two-day early access to every single episode. You also get a shout-out on a future episode as a loyal producer. You also get bonus mini-episodes called Judo Chops, which uh, are Patreon exclusives, and they're fun little 5- to 25-minute episodes that are about a subject uh, of our choosing. Uh, Also, you will get occasional bonus content, such as unedited interviews, behind-the-scenes videos, and tiny tidbits that got cut out of episodes, uh, mostly due to us being complete jackasses. So if you would like to get a hold of us, the quickest way is through Twitter at Audio Judo. You can also get 
us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash audio judo. If you want to send us an email, you can do that at info at audio judo.com. Please don't forget to check out our jazz podcast called Audio Judo Does Jazz. You can find that at audiojudo.com forward slash AJDJ or anywhere that podcasts are podcast. We have episodes from Bob Seeger, Dire Straits, and our annual holiday episode and top 10 albums of 2021 episode. So be sure to be on the lookout for those. And we will talk to you in two weeks, everyone. Take care out there. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.